coming up on The Balanced Word. You have an expiration date. There's a time when you won't be here anymore. And what you do today, especially in terms of, and you can't live your life in the past, but if there are some loose ends that need to be taken care of that can prepare for the future, it's a good idea to do it. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hand. And the instrument I play. Wake up my voice. Let the world hear me say, you are worshipped and exalted here today. Have you given much thought to how you'll leave this world? Do your actions today make things better for the generations to follow? Am I leaving the world a better place? We'll carefully consider that together here on The Balanced Word. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, David is at the end of his life, and you could say he's tying up a few loose ends. Perhaps that's exactly what you need to do today. Here's Pastor Dave Roth. They're still right and wrong, but the Holy Spirit has an advantage in knowing exactly when the situation overrules the law, the rules. Now, if, if you don't understand that, you will never understand Jesus. You'll never understand most of what he said. And also, life will be a problem for you. Really, part of why this is, remember this, God sees the future. Now, if I, you know, talking about the Jews, how about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor in, in Germany who plotted to kill Hitler? Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer ended up being hung for that. But if he had accomplished it and saved millions of lives, would you criticize him for violating Romans 13? Now, what if you could travel through time? And you may think that traveling through time is impossible, but, you know, Jesus, for instance, says things like, before Abraham was, I am. Wow, it sounds like he has a different understanding of time than we might, you know, except for a few wackos on Joe Rogan. We're like, no, no, it doesn't happen that way. But God can see outside of time, in and out of time at the same time. He sees every consequence of every possibility that might happen. Now, would it make a difference? Like, if I could get in a, in a DeLorean and go back to the 1930s and kill Adolf Hitler and save 8 million Jewish lives, would that be wrong? <laughs> or would that be right? But the catch is, we don't know. I can't look around today and decide who's the next Hitler. But God can see the future. So when God does something often, it's because he knows what would happen if he doesn't. And that's why I need to listen to the Holy Spirit instead of just following rules. Some of the most important things that you do in life are things that violate some rule because God was leading you to. Now, that could be an excuse always, but I remember one time years ago, and I'm sorry I get old, I repeat stories. I don't know if I've told you this story, but... Um, I was at Calvary, and I got one of the kids, a couple of the kids at school said, our mom's back in her apartment, and she says she's going to kill herself today. I'm like, oh. And I head over to her apartment, and she was in really bad shape. I sat there. I sang to her. I prayed, read the scriptures to her. I spent like half the day with her, and then she seemed like she was doing better. She finally turned up some of the lights, and, and um, so I go, okay. So I come back. Well, like, Two weeks later, Pastor Romaine came to me. 
And he pulls me aside and he goes, did you go spend half a day in a dark apartment with a single woman with nobody even knowing who, where you were? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, don't you ever lose the ability to do something like that again. You saved that woman's life. I'm like, whoo. <laughs> there are plenty of rules I broke that didn't get that response from Romaine. But it registered that in that case, you know, rules are rules, but rules don't supersede when the Holy Spirit's leading you as to what to do. And so now you look at this circumstance. Just, I'm just hypothesizing here, but suppose, like what would have happened if they hadn't made peace with the Gibeonites? David's about to die. His son Solomon's going to take over. They've just been through two revolutions. They're, they're weak. The northern tribes are still not crazy about being ruled by somebody from Judah. The Gibeonites are living up there in the middle of where the northern tribes are. Now, what would have happened, and also a lot of this you have to understand in light of, these were collectivist cultures. We're individualistic culture. Like, if I didn't know one of my ancestors, I don't care about them. I'm like not, no offense to you Mormons, but I, I really don't care who my great-great-great-grandfather was, really, unless he left an inheritance. But <laughs> in, in most collectivist cultures, which is most of the world, and which was certainly all of history, a generation would find out about something that, was, that wronged their ancestors and it was like, you did it to me. And they would take it upon themselves. Wars were fought because of things that had happened 200 years before to their, to their ancestors. And so the Gibeonites could have been in a position moving forward where they could have done great damage to Israel. As it was, Solomon ended up getting along great with, most of, with the northern tribes. It was only after Solomon died that the north split off from the south. Part of that was because people like the Gibeonites were up there going, look, we're not even Jews, but these guys are good guys. They're honest. They screwed up and they made it right. And, you know, we're good with them. So did God know this needs to be fixed now because Solomon won't be able to fix it. He won't have the clout. And this is going to backfire on us unless right now we make peace with the Gibeonites. But the only way to make peace with the Gibeonites is for seven people to die. Now you go, but seven innocent people died. I don't know if they were innocent or not. They probably were, more or less. But, I mean, what's seven people compared to a war? How many people did they lose in these last two rebellions that they had, these last two civil wars? We, we lost more than seven people just running away from Afghanistan. So why are we acting? If, if, there, if you could avoid a war by seven innocent people dying... That's, it actually makes sense from an ethical standpoint. But there's another side to the coin that, I, that you should consider. Who's going to be a threat to the kingdom of David? Who's going to be a threat to Solomon as soon as David dies? Number one would probably be descendants of Saul. Because again, collectivist culture. They're like, our family should be king, and here's our opportunity. He's got this spoiled little guy who's a total womanizer and everything, and yeah, he's really smart, but he can't fight. And, and so this would have been a great opportunity for the descendants of Saul to bind together. Now suppose God looked at it and he knew that those seven descendants of Saul 
were going to destroy the nation, ultimately, the kingdom, well, would sacrificing seven of them to not only secure this issue with the family of Saul, but at the same time, secure the problem from the family of Gibeon, and only seven people die. It seems like a pretty good decision. Now, if you're saying, you're just making this up, yeah, I'm hypothesizing, but I'm suggesting at least one way that this might have been a brilliant thing to happen. And plus, when you look at any violence in the Old Testament, you have to, I mean, there are people who are just like, I don't want anything to do with the Old Testament. It's so violent. But you have to remember, God had one agenda from Genesis 3, and that is, how do I save these people? Which means everything that God did was for the greater good of how can I preserve the line of Messiah so that the one would come that had been prophesied about that he could bear the sins of everyone when he would die. Now, God had to do severe things at different times in history to rescue the line of the Messiah. And this was certainly a time when it looks like that happened. If the Gibeonites had pulled off a revolt, if the descendants of Saul had pulled off a revolt, what happens to the genealogy? What happens to the line of Christ? So to me, it's like when we judge what God does, we're playing checkers. God's playing chess. He has a bigger picture in mind because he knows more. But if that's true, then it's true today. That, of course, in general, the things that we understand are right and wrong are right and wrong. I don't go violate the basic principles that the scripture gives us about what's right and what's wrong. But I walk in the spirit and I ask God to show me. Now, if everything I do is an exception, I'm probably off the mark at that point. But if I'm hearing from God, and God is saying, in this particular case, you need to vary from the ordinary, and you need to do something that people may even judge you for it, but you're following my spirit. And it's one of the big reasons why I want to have the Holy Spirit moving in my life. It's what makes us more like Jesus and less like Pharisees, where I'm like, yeah, I'm, do- I'm generally observing this rule, but I'm also, if God tells me, I'll go out on a limb and realize that he's bigger than the rules, that the rules are there in general, but there are times when he makes an exception. And I'm not totally comfortable with that, but it's a fact, and I could argue it throughout all of history and through rules. Now, so don't get me wrong. I'm not just saying, well, everything is about the situation. No, everything is about the Holy Spirit and what he is leading and what he is guiding. And if you're not walking in the Spirit, then your life is going to be a mess, even if you follow all the rules like a Pharisee. So anyway, then the rest of the chapter is this story, and oh, we're running out of time. But we'll do it anyway. The Philistines now come after David. They're starting to smell blood in the water. The Philistines haven't been a prominent issue ever since David was a teenager, and he took their hero, Goliath, this giant, and he killed them, cut off his head, and you know, really humiliated those guys. Well, now Goliath's sons have grown up and they're giants too. One of them, actually it says he had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, which is like, I don't know why it said that. He probably had a hard time buying shoes and had an even harder time getting gloves. But it's it's like these guys were huge. 
and they were warriors. Now here you have another threat to the kingdom of Solomon. Philistines are over there on the coast. They're mad. Your dad killed my dad. And it's time for us to get back at you. Hey, Solomon, let's see how tough you are. Let's see who's going to fight for you. So they go, we better cut this off right now. We need to fix this. And so the Philistines were at war, and David and his servants with him went down, verse 15, against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Know that feeling where you're like, yeah, let's go get them. And whoa, uh, hang on, give me a second here. You got any Gatorade or an energy drink or something so I can finish this? David's getting old. And he's like, he's ready to fight giants. But Abishai, his bodyguard, ended up saving his life, came to his aid, as it says. See, because this guy was ready to kill David because of what David did to his dad, Abishai helped him, killed this giant, and... Um, And then the men of David said to him, okay, look, dude, you're not going to battle anymore lest you quench the lamp of Israel. You are still our leader, but you don't have it as a fighter anymore. It's time to let the younger guys do the fighting. You go back home and pray for us. So he does. He's like, okay, yeah, I'm not feeling too good anyway. So, And and then afterwards, there were three other sons of Goliath and they were able to kill all of them. And these four, verse 22, were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So how does this story get bunched in with the other one? And why kill these giants now? It's been a long time. Well, in the same way, these guys are a huge threat. If you let the Philistines stay, especially with these four huge dudes, then as soon as David's gone, they're going to get what's theirs. They're like, you killed our dad, now we're going to kill your kids. Again, that's the thinking in a collectivist culture. So in a very strategic time, towards the end of David's life, he understood, I better take care of these giants. The boys are getting bigger, they're huge, they're getting more and more angry, and I don't know what this is going to do. I certainly can't send this sissy Solomon with a sling and expect him to take these guys out. So while my fighters are still healthy, we better take them out and it can make things better for Solomon in the future. So again, protecting the messianic line and everything. So what does all this have to do with us ultimately? The, The thing I see about David here is that you have a feeling, again, this is like, the end of his story. We're going to see he, his last words given and then a few other little loose ends. He ends up dying in First Kings chapter 1. But, you know, he's coming to the end. And you get the feeling with David that he has a sense of that and he's trying to tie up some loose ends. Had he not taken care of the thing with the Gibeonites, had he not eliminated the descendants of Saul, had he not taken care of the Philistine giants, Who knows what would have happened after he was gone? So it's almost like he had a checklist, and he goes, I'm going to take care of these things to tie up loose ends to make it better for the next generation. And, you know, for each of us personally, maybe there isn't somebody, you know, some major thing that we have to do. But do we understand that we're all on the clock? Whether you're older, whether you're younger, you have an expiration date. 
There's a time when you won't be here anymore. And what you do today, especially in terms of, and you can't live your life in the past, but if there are some loose ends that need to be taken care of that can prepare for the future, it's a good idea to do it. The time, I mean, like, the time to get rid of all your junk isn't like, let's leave it for the kids. They don't want, you know, sure, they may laugh at you when you're on hoarders, but it's like, why don't you just make things simpler for them? Do you have a bunch of debt that you're going to leave your kids to take care of? Do you have a house that's not practical for you in your final days? Are you, you know, what is it in your life that you're like, if I realize I have an expiration date, how am I going to live my life differently? Are there some strategic things? Are there people that nagging in the back of my mind is like, you know, I never apologized to that person. Or I never at least tried to reach out to him. Now, there are people that, a lot of times when you go to somebody and go, you know, I know you used to hate me, and, but I'm really sorry. And most of the time, they're like, yeah, I still hate you. And I'm like, okay, good. Then I, as much as is possible with you, be at peace with all men, I've laid that to rest. I'm okay, I'm good with it. There are people that you try to reach out to that it just gets more and more evil back. But you go, okay, I'm way ahead of the scales of what I've tried to do to make that work. I can't make it work because I can't will someone else. But at least I'm looking at my life and going, how am I in some ways leaving the world a better place? How can I look at my life and go, when I look back, I'm going to say, you know, I did certain things that made it possible for something good to happen later. This is something that for me as a pastor, you know, the older that I get and you know, several years ago, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on pastoral succession. So I've thought about that a lot, and I'm asked about it constantly, you know, every time, oh, you got another birthday coming up, <laughs> you know, and people are like wanting to check my pulse. But, and I mean, I honestly, I don't, I feel like I'm still contributing, and I feel like I'm still making sense, more or less. In fact, in some ways, it's even better, because when I offend people now, they just think it's because I'm old. And really, it's just because that's who I've always been. But, you know, it's like, at some point, I don't want to be the guy that's just up here drooling and people are, yeah, I remember back in the day, you know, he was really something. No, I mean, ever since I was young, people have been telling me when they meet me, they've heard me on the radio for years and they're surprised because they thought I was really young. I sound young, I look old. But it's like, at some point, I have to go, what's the best thing that I can do? And that's something as a church that I ask myself, how can I prepare younger people and do things that will last beyond me while at the same time being faithful to do what I'm able to do? Because one day I'll step into the battle and I'll feel faint like David and it'll be like, you know what? I think you're good. The scary thing is as you get older, you lose your ability to, to see your own weaknesses and that's weird. But Life is fast, man. It goes by so quick. Again, as somebody, my 70th birthday, some of you think, oh, 70 is nothing. I'm way older than that. Good for you, but you haven't abused yourself like I am, so maybe you'll live longer than me. But I don't know. I, I haven't been diagnosed with anything that's supposed to kill me, but I realize it just seems like yesterday when I was a kid, and now here I am. There's three girls sitting down here that, that were in my first youth group that I taught 50 years ago. And they all look like 30 now, which is really <laughs> tripping me out. But what are you doing? 
to tie up your loose ends? Is there something in your life that it'd be a good idea to resolve, to pay that off, to simplify that, to just talk to that person and resolve something with them? That's an opportunity that we have. I, at the Together, I shared one of my favorite stories that Steve Jobs, when he, he did the convocation address at, at uh, Stanford University, he said, years ago I heard somebody say that if you live every day like it's your last, someday you'll be right. And then he said, what I've done for the last decade or two is that I look at myself in the mirror every morning and I say, what I'm planning on doing today, is this what I would do if this were the last day of my life? And he said, if I have too many days in a row when my answer is no, then I need to change things up. I need to make some adjustments. And I think the story of David is a great time for us to consider that. What am I doing with my life now? Is there something unresolved that I can at least put the effort out? Is there something that I can do that might help somebody who's younger along the way? Is there something I can do that can make life easier for the next generation? And that needs to become our priorities if we're going to live our lives in the way that God would have us to do it. And if you're thinking like that, good for you. If you're not, if you're just like, I'm just hanging in there, seeing how long I last, waiting to die, life is too important for that. Or if you're young, people die young. I mean, it may be that all you get to do in life is what you do this week, and then it might be all over with. So we should always be considering, in light of what matters most, what am I doing with my life? In light of what's most important to me, what is it that I would want to do? And sometimes it's not just always like, oh, deep spiritual things. It's, I mean, yesterday I went to my granddaughter's soccer game. I hate soccer, but I love my grandkids. And it was like a typical soccer game. It ends up zero to zero. And yet, if I died right after that game, there's no other way I would have spent that time because it's so important, it's so valuable, it's so special to experience those kinds of things. For each one of us, we need to ask the question, are there some loose ends I need to tie up in life? We should always be ready to go, because someday for sure, we will. You're listening to The Balanced Word with our pastor and teacher, Dave Rolfe. Today's message is part of our study in First and Second Samuel called Kingdom Building. Stay with us for more teaching from Pastor Dave in just a moment. These programs are available by podcast at thebalancedword.com. You can also call and request a CD copy at 949-362-7475. You might also want to request the entire Kingdom Building series. Again at 949-362-7475. We'd also like to offer you Pastor Dave Through the Bible in a Year series on a USB thumb drive for a gift of $25 or more. Go through the Bible in a year with Pastor Dave by ordering this special series today. Again, call 949-362-7475 or order online at thebalancedword.com. Your gifts help to make these shows possible on stations like this one all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. Donations can be made at thebalancedword.com. Have you had a chance to listen to Pastor Dave's one-minute messages? You can listen to those at thebalancedword.com and even join our mailing list so you can have them delivered to you each day. You can watch them on Instagram or Facebook too by following CC Pacific Hills. 
Pastor Dave would love to have you join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Our service times on Sunday morning are at 8, 9.45, and 11.30. Directions and more information about the church can be found online at ccpacifichills.org. You can watch our live stream there too, ccpacifichills.org. Let's finish our time in prayer with Pastor Dave. Lord, thank you for giving us stories that twist our thinking, for having people who seem to be innocent sacrificed to bring good weather and to bring peace and to bring a future, just so that we wrestle with the ethics of the whole thing and begin to understand and realize that we can trust you because you have a reason for everything that you do. And it isn't a reason of weakness. It's a reason of strength. Teach us to make our choices, not by following rules like a Pharisee, but by being aware of rules and valuing them, but listening to your spirit as to how you might lead us in what we do in our lives. And may we be constantly in the process of tying up loose ends because we don't know when our time is up. Thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Discovering Balance Living Through the Word of God You've been listening to The Balanced Word. Set aside another half hour next time to hear another study in our Kingdom Building series from Pastor Dave Roth. This program is listener supported and brought to you by Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hands. And the instrument I play.